Welcome to the October podcast from the Stevenson Harwood Pensions Law Team. You can subscribe and listen on iTunes and Stitcher or by visiting our Pensions Hub at www.pensionshub.com. I'm Dan Bowman, a consultant in the Pensions Team, and I have with me Alex Bellis, an associate in the team. Today we will discuss a number of topics, uh, including a review undertaken on the Pensions Regulator, legislation introduced to codify certain EU principles, as well as the type of contributions that can be made to a SIP which will benefit from tax relief. For our first topic, however, we will consider proposed changes as a result of the abolition of the lifetime allowance. Thank you, Dan. The abolition of the lifetime allowance was one of the proposed changes to the pensions taxation regime that was announced in the spring 2023 budget. A phased approach has been adopted towards this abolition, with the first phase taking place in April 2023 with the Finance Number no. 2 Act 2023 legislation um, that prevents people from becoming subject to a lifetime allowance charge from that point onwards. The second phase will be the abolition of the lifetime allowance itself, uh, which is scheduled for April 2024. Draft legislation has recently been published on this planned abolition, setting out exactly how the government will implement this. The draft legislation, alongside the accompanying HMRC policy paper, has highlighted how all references to the lifetime allowance will be removed from legislation and replaced by two new allowances. The first, the individual's lump sum and death benefit allowance, will limit the total amount of lump sums and lump sum death benefits, but not pensions, which can be taken tax-free by an individual to a maximum of £1,073,100. Meanwhile, the second, the lump sum allowance, will be set at £268,275 and provide a further limit on the total value of tax-free cash, which can be taken in relation to certain specific authorised payments under the Finance Act regime. However, despite the introduction of these two new allowances, those individuals with lifetime allowance protections will effectively maintain the entitlements that they had prior to the abolition of the lifetime allowance that relate to tax-free cash. New provisions relating to the pensions taxation regime are also set out in the draft legislation. Pensions income shall effectively remain as being taxed at the individual's marginal rate, as will authorised lump sums, and authorised lump sums death benefits, although any excess to these new allowances will be subjected to the higher special lump sum death benefit charge. The HMRC policy paper has also gone one step further in relation to the tax treatment of unused funds paid to dependents out of uncrystallised funds indicating that if an individual dies before age 75 leaving uncrystallised funds, that a lump sum may still be paid to a dependent out of the drawdown funds or used to buy an annuity for the dependent, but these will be subject to income tax at the recipient's marginal rate. Furthermore, additional pension commencement lump sum flexibility has been set out in the draft legislation, 
with no limit placed on the amount of the authorised lump sums and lump sum death benefits which can be taken, only the amounts that can be taken tax-free. Hence, subject to the scheme rules, members would not be subjected to any limit on the amount which could be taken as a pension commencement lump sum under the tax legislation, although the excess would be taxed at the individual's marginal rate. In order to prepare for the implementation of the second phase, trustees should take steps to familiarise themselves with the proposed changes and consider what actions may be needed for their particular scheme. It may be the case that the scheme rules and associated member communications will require updating in areas such as the recommencement of benefit accrual or where other benefit arrangements interplay with the lifetime allowance, such as cash and lieu of pensions arrangements and accepted group life policies. Okay, thanks Alex. So for our next topic, we're going to consider the review that the DWP has undertaken of the pensions regulator. The review was published on 18th of September this year and it considered whether the regulator was well set up to do its job within the wider system of pensions and financial regulation. It considered, amongst other things, whether the regulator is well governed, efficiently run and appropriately funded, how well it's managing relationships with its key stakeholders, and what opportunities there are to undertake activities in a more efficient manner. And the review has concluded that the regulator is generally well managed, and that public reception has remained positive towards it. The coherent and well-focused strategy of the regulator was praised, as was its accountability and its past successes, such as the implementation of automatic enrolment. However, 17 recommendations for improvement were made, centred around themes of risk and growth, digital transformation, value for money and compliance and enforcement. The regulator has been encouraged to take on an authoritative role in policy discussions regarding the investment of UK pension funds, take tougher enforcement action where necessary, and to discharge its existing functions efficiently and effectively to, and I quote, avoid inexorable growth as its remit expands and minimise the significant risk of spending scarce budget badly. The review does not set out a definitive time frame for implementing these recommendations, but does indicate that the majority could be implemented within the coming year. Thanks, Dan. For our next topic, we will consider legislation introduced that codifies certain EU principles. So the Pensions Act 2004 and the Equalities Act 2010 Amendment Equal Treatment by Occupational Pension Schemes Regulations 2023 are expected to come into force immediately before the end of this year. Amongst other things, the regulations will codify non-discrimination on grounds of sexual orientation. Uh, This will be achieved by providing that Benefits payable to same-sex surviving spouses and civil partners should be calculated on the same basis as for opposite-sex spouses and civil partners. This amendment shall accord with a principle established in Walker and in Aspects Limited and others, which held that the 5th of December 2005 cut-off breached EU equality requirements in relation to survivors' pensions. The regulations shall further provide for the codification of the judgment in Allenby 
by requiring notional opposite sex comparators to be used to establish the existence of discrimination caused by legislation rather than the actual one. However, the use of this notional comparator is restricted to being in connection with a pensionable service on or after the 17th of May 1990 to assess whether there is sex-based discrimination resulting from GMP legislation. Such codification has proved necessary as, after the 31st of December 2023, retained EU law will cease to have effect in UK domestic law. Hence, the government is seeking to provide certainty by restating the outcome of these judgments in legislation. Such restatement maintains the status quo, so it should not increase costs or administrative requirements for schemes. Moving on to some further regulations that have also been laid before Parliament. These are the draft and snappily entitled Pensions Act 2004 Amendment Pension Protection Fund Compensation Regulations 2023. Uh, And these regulations seek to amend provisions of the Pensions Act 2004 relating to the payment of compensation from the PPF. And the amendments are designed to ensure that the compensation payable to members by the PPF is not less than 50% of the benefits the members would have been entitled to under the rules of the original scheme and before the PPF assumed responsibility for it. So, in practice, this doesn't represent a significant change from the existing state of play. Uh, In the case of Hampshire versus the board of the PPF, the court ruled that former employees should receive at least 50% of their accrued pension benefits in the event of the employer's insolvency. And in the case of Hughes and others versus the board of the PPF, the High Court disapplied the cap on PPF compensation that previously applied to members below their scheme's normal pension age on the date of their employer's insolvency, noting that the cap amounted to unlawful age discrimination. The retained EU Law Revocation and Reform Act 2023 provides that after 31st of December this year, principles of EU law, including principles derived from EU case law, they will cease to have effect. And the purpose of these new regulations, therefore, is to codify the effect of these cases by ensuring that the Pensions Act 2004 provides a 50% minimum level of PPF compensation. And it removes references to a cap on PPF compensation. Now, these draft regulations are due to come into force before the end of the year. Thanks, Dan. Our next topic considers the types of contributions which can attract tax relief in a self-invested personal pension or SIP. Historically, it has been common for contributions into a SIP to be made in specie by way of contributions of shares and other non-cash assets on the understanding that such contributions would constitute, and I quote, pension contributions paid for the purposes of Section 188 of the Finance Act 2004. Because of this, tax relief could be claimed in respect of them. Additionally, HMRC guidance that has been in place since 2009 states that in-species contributions structured as a payment in satisfaction of a debt to a SIP would also constitute pension contributions paid for the purposes of Section 188. The position was upended by the Upper Tax Tribunal decision in SIP Choice 2, which held that such in-species contributions and contributions as payments in kind did not actually constitute contributions paid for the purposes of tax relief under Section 188. The appellant, 
Kellogg and Co. RLP was a provider of SIPs into which in-species contributions had been made. As in SIP choice 2, HMRC had refused an application for relief under Section 188 in respect of in-species contributions structured as a payment in satisfaction of a debt owed to a SIP. Amongst the matters that the tribunal considered were whether the term pension contributions paid was broad enough to encompass in-species contributions, as well as payments by way of bank transfer, and whether contributions paid can encompass in-species contributions made in order to discharge a monetary obligation. On these points, the tribunal was bound to follow the decision in SIP Choice 2, Nevertheless, the tribunal noted that the documentation in this case was insufficient to create a legally enforceable debt. Therefore, even if SIP Choice 2 had been wrongly decided as regards the admissibility of in-species contributions in satisfaction of a debt, Killick & Co. LLP would still have failed to succeed on this point on their factual grounds. There is prospect for the case to be appealed, and so it will be worth following further developments on this. In the meantime, it remains inadvisable to make in-species contributions into a SIP, given the considerable risk that tax relief will not be able to be claimed in respect of such contributions. Thanks, Alex. Our last topic considers a private member's bill which has received royal assent and which will help millions of people save more into their pension. This bill introduces powers to reduce the age for being automatically enrolled and to enable pension saving from the first pound earned by scrapping the lower earnings limit. The bill also includes a statutory requirement to consult on the implementation approach and timing for the new powers, along with reporting on the outcomes to Parliament. The DWP will launch a consultation on implementing the new measures and it's predicted that these amendments, combined with the Mansion House reforms, they could see the average earner's pension increase by nearly 50% if saving across their entire career, while a minimum wage earner could see their pension pot increase by over 85%. Automatic enrolment has already contributed to a rise in eligible employees saving into a workplace pension from 55% in 2012 to 88% in 2021, with an additional £33 billion saved in real terms in 2021 compared to 2012. Automatic enrolment has particularly benefited women, young people and lower earners, with the proportion of eligible women in a workplace pension having increased from 59% in 2012 to 89% in 2021, while the proportion of eligible 22 to 29 year olds has more than doubled, from 35% in 2012 to 86% in 2021. Thanks for joining us. That's all for this month's podcast. Further detail can be found in our October snapshot, which is available on our Pensions Hub at www.pensionshub.com. You can listen to this podcast again or subscribe to the series on iTunes or Stitcher or on the Pensions Hub. Goodbye. <laughs>